So this morning, uh, in the book of Romans chapter 4, I'm going to review a couple of things, and then what we're going to do is we are also going to look at a couple of passages in the book of Genesis. So if we can go to that next slide, I was having problems with my, oh, I knew it. (laughs) I was struggling with my PowerPoint this morning, and I couldn't get it uh, just right, so it's pretty small. Um, So I'm just going to share with you some of these things that are on here, but the things that you could see If you would turn with me to a few different passages in Genesis, and then we're going to get into Romans chapter 4. So, first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and I want you to look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and then chapter 17, verses 9 through 11. That's going to kind of set us up for going through uh, Romans chapter 4 this morning. Remember that the gospel... Um, Paul wrote to the Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if you remember that, that's our theme. Paul writing to the Romans had never met, uh, had never been with the Roman church yet, but he's writing to them not to address problems. You know, some of the other epistles that he wrote were to address issues. The book of Romans is this incredible book where Paul gives this theology, this understanding of who God is, of how we're saved. Words like sanctification and justification. And, and we're, we're going to look at some of these incredible truths in God's word as we have been for the last few weeks. Last week in Romans chapter 3, we looked at how all are guilty and how we're only justified by grace through faith. And then this morning, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is going to focus on Abraham primarily. In chapter 3, everybody's guilty. We're all justified only by God's grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't say, God, I'm good enough, so now you could uh, let me into heaven because look at my life and it's been exemplary. No, we all fall short of the glory of God. Now, in chapter 4, what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, even the people that you trust in to the Jews, even the people that you hold up as these godly examples, even they had to be justified by faith. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, it begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is called the son of David and the son of Abraham. So what Paul is going to do is he's going to take these two people, Abraham and David, and he's going to hold them up as examples for us to follow and to realize that even Abraham and David were saved by faith. Now, in the book of Genesis, Paul is writing um, in Romans to people who he assumes they already understand these things, but it's good for us to review. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, who was called Abram at the time, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, when God called Abraham... Uh, his name was Abram at the time. Um, 
he, his father, uh, Terah, lived in a place called Ur, and God called them, as they moved to Haran, uh, God called Abraham out to become a nation that God was going to create through Abraham. Now, at this point, there's no Ten Commandments. Moses is not alive yet. There's no law. God is saying, I'm going to start a nation, a group of people from you. And from you, the world is going to be blessed. And in a sense, you're going to be a light to the nations around you. So this is Genesis chapter 12. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So Eleazar is a servant. And, and Abram's saying, How can you bless me? How can you create a nation for me? I don't even have a child, I don't even have a, a son. And you know, this one Eleazar, he was born in my house. But notice that God is going to say something to him in verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Notice in Genesis fifteen six, And he believed in the Lord and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Genesis fifteen six. Now, last Genesis scripture. Turn to chapter 17, a couple of chapters over. Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 11. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram away from his hometown, from his family to go to a land that God was going to show him. Genesis chapter 15, God says, I'm going to bless you and multiply you, and it's going to be from your own body, your own seed, your own child. Genesis chapter 17, God says, now the sign that um, you've been justified, you know, that it was accounted to you as righteousness, the, the sign that, that your life is pleasing, that you're um, justified, and that I'm going to do these things through you, is this sign of circumcision. So, turn with me now. To the book of Romans chapter 4 and hopefully that background will help this chapter make more sense and bring some things to us this morning now as you're turning there Romans chapter 4 the question is how are we justified we realize in chapter 3 we're justified um, by faith uh, by grace through faith and remember justified is this word that that means God does not hold our sin against us. In other words, we've been cleared. We are uh, declared free of guilt. So God does this, but how does he do it? 
He does it because we believe in him and it's only by his grace. But then he's going to give us some people that show us the example that even these people that are looked at as righteous in, in our earthly eyes, our humanly eyes, were justified by faith. Now, you might have some people in your life that you think that in a sense they were just born godly. I don't know if you know people that are like that. It just seems like they're more godly than you. And uh, they, were, they just seem like they've always been more godly. Ever since you've known them, they've been more godly than you. And sometimes when you struggle with sin and you struggle with guilt, you struggle with different temptations, you kind of look at those people as though they don't struggle with the same things that you struggle with. It's almost like they were just kind of born with this spirituality or this heart for God. And yet God is going to show us that Abraham, who is considered the father of the, the nation of Israel, was justified just like we are. So in verse 1, he begins with this question, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? So Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. I, I want you to think, uh, when you think about the father of the United States, the father of our nation, what name do you think of? George Washington, right? First president. Now, we have President's Day and, and uh, there's President's Day sales and you get President's Day off but he's not quite held as lofty as he was, let's say, in the early 1800s. George Washington was everything, right, to the nation. He embodied just this heroic, this, uh, this sense of all of our values being in George Washington. But as highly as we could esteem George Washington is not even as highly as the Jews esteemed Abraham. Abraham was not only the father of the nation, but this father of faith. And yet, Paul asks this question, what did Abraham learn about trying to be made right with God? In verse 2, it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Justified. Now again, justification means to be considered righteous, to be considered free of guilt, just as if I had never sinned. And I hope that you long to feel that. Because that longing for feeling that drives us to the Lord. In fact, suppressed guilt, um, if it is not dealt with in a way that is cleared by God, our conscience will always be condemning us. And there will be this, this sense that we either are condemned or we just try to ignore sin altogether. We try to drown it out. Sometimes when people feel guilty for sin, they try to do good works in order to make it make up for their bad things. But you realize that we still can't work enough to be considered righteous in God's eyes. Another thing that people do is they try to forget about the guilt. They try to drink it away or entertain it away or shop it away or eat it away or, or relationship it away or try to work it away by, by burying themselves in work. People do things to try to alleviate the guilt, but the guilt still remains. Justification is an incredible, incredible truth that even though we have sinned, God sees us as being cleared of that guilt. Now, how does that take place? How does this happen? 
See, if Abraham was justified by works, then he would be able to brag to us, but he would not be able to brag before God. Remember that when Lucifer fell, it was always pride that was at the center of it. If you read in the book of Isaiah that Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will ascend above the Most High. There is this sense of pride within us that separates us from God. And pride is something that will keep people away from coming to the truth of God because the only way that we could receive God's justification is by humbling ourselves. The first reason why we are justified by faith is that it is, if it is of faith, then there is no boasting and only God is glorified. There's no boasting in it when we are justified by grace through faith. We can't brag. When we get to heaven and we're looking around at other people that are in heaven and we're surprised that they're there, like, oh, you made it? And then they're looking at us like, oh, you, you made it? And, and then they ask you a question, well, how'd you make it in here? Well, I made it in here because God forgave me of my sin and it was only by God's grace. How did you make it? Well, I, I made it because God forgave me of my sin and I was, uh, it was only by God's grace. And then imagine if someone says, well, I made it because I earned it. <laughs> heaven would not be heaven because then there would be this person that everybody hates, right? Because everyone else is forgiven by grace and there's this one person that says, well, I earned it. I, I made it. No, you know what? The amazing thing, the beautiful thing uh, about being justified by grace is that there's no room for boasting. There, there's no pride in it. In fact, it's, it's we received a gift. It was something that, that is only received humbly. And then we also see that the reason why we're justified by faith is that it's what Scripture says. Notice what Paul writes in verse 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I love what Paul writes here because we always need to go back to scripture. What does scripture say? If someone has a question about God, if someone has a, a, an idea, and in our world there are so many different ideas about God, so many different opinions, God as I understand him, God the way that I think of him, and people have these different understandings. And what Paul says is, let's go back to the word of God. Let's go back to scripture and it says in scripture, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So you read the scripture with me in Genesis chapter 15 in verse 6. When was this righteousness given to Abraham? When was it accounted to him as righteousness? Was it before circumcision or after? It was before. Now the law the Ten Commandments and Moses, those were not even given yet. So Genesis chapter 15, 6 reminds us that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now the word accounted, it, it occurs 41 times here in the New Testament. Uh, it's the word logizomai, and it means to think of, to impute, to reckon, to count, to account, to suppose, to reason, and to number, okay? That's what the word to account means. It does not mean this. It does not mean because Abraham believed God, he attained righteousness. It was accounted to him. It was given to his account. In other words, God considered him righteous because he simply believed God. 
his life wasn't all righteous. Abraham wasn't sinless. But because he believed God, God says, I'm going to count that as righteousness for you. Not that Abraham earned that righteousness. And that word accounted is going to happen again uh, 41 times in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to see that God chose to reckon or impute righteousness to Abraham because Abraham believed God. Now in verse 4, it says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Think about this when you go to work. How many of you uh, work and receive a paycheck for working? All right. When you receive the paycheck because you worked, even if you babysat and you got paid for babysitting or you did something to help someone else out and you got paid, when you got paid this money, this, this uh, wage, you didn't go to your boss and say, thank you, thank you, I got paid. You're such a good, gracious person because you paid me. I mean, can you imagine that? Your, your first job, you get this paycheck and you're running around the office. I got paid. I got paid. Look at, look at this. This is incredible. I don't deserve this. Everyone would look at you like, what are you, what are you thinking? In fact, there are times when you probably think, I deserve more than this. In fact, there are times when you've gotten paid and you think, this isn't worth it. I, I, this is not, I'm looking at this compared to this last, these last two weeks that I've had, and this is not worth it. What Paul is saying is that the person who works, wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Your employer owes you that money because you did a job, because you did something, so you're supposed to get something in return. If you're a contractor, you built something. If you're a salesman, you sold something. There's something that you did in order to gain that. So when you get the paycheck, there's no surprise in it. And it doesn't cause you to love someone, your, your employer more or the company more because you got paid. Because you're supposed to get paid. But notice it says in verse 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, I'm just going to give you a sneak preview of Romans chapter 6 when we get there. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So if you want to work for wages, we, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We saw that in the last chapter, right? So if we have all sinned, let me tell you what the Bible says our wages are. Death. That's what we earned. God, give me what I deserve. Are you sure you want that? Do you want what you deserve? Grace is getting what we do not deserve. We don't deserve life, but God gives it on the basis of his grace because we believe it. So it's, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now notice it says, believes on him who justifies the ungodly. It is not enough to say, well, I believe in God. The book of James says that even the demons believe and they tremble. So a lot of people will say, well, I believe in God. Uh, what difference are you than me? What difference are, are these people than, than me? Because I believe in God, just like you believe in God. But notice it says, believe on him who justifies the ungodly. 
It's not enough just to say, I believe in God. Our money still, you know, as of right now, has this phrase that says, in God we trust. Now, I think, I think that's very ironic because there's so many people that trust in what they are holding, that dollar bill or whatever that bill is, more than trusting in God. But still, in our, our country, there are so many people that say, I believe in God. But do we believe on God who justifies? Do we put our faith and trust in the God who justifies the ungodly? See, there's a difference between the two. So Abraham is not justified by works. Now, point number two on that uh, outline there. Paul now moves from Abraham, and then he points out David. If you have been with us the last three Wednesday nights, we've been studying the life of David, and it has been such a rich time. In fact, when we looked at this last week about David, we realized that David was a sinful man who had fallen. We realized that the last part of David's life was, was very sad because even though he was a man after God's own heart and he repented, he still went through so much trial and difficulty because of his sin. Psalm 32 is ascribed to David. And what happens is um, Paul here quotes Psalm 32. Notice it says in verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So he's saying David is also uh, an example, an illustration of the blessed life of the person that God accounts righteousness apart from works. Verses 7 and 8 say this, Blessed are those whose lawless, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Again, David is one of my favorite people in all of, in all of the history of, of the world. When I read the life of David, I realize you know, I'm reading these Psalms and there are times that I feel this joy and this praise towards God and this heart for God. I can't put it into words and I'm reading one of the Psalms and I'm going, man, that says what I want to say. What my heart wants to say, that says that. But there are also times when I feel just absolutely devastated, absolutely overwhelmed, absolutely like I can't make it, absolutely like I'm not good enough, God can't accept me, like woe is me, I just want to find a rock and crawl under it because I see my own sinful nature and I see that I can't control my tongue and I say things I don't want to say. And, and there are times when I read the Psalms and David says what I want to say. And there are times that Psalm 32 has comforted me so much. Blessed are those whose, law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. There is a blessedness when we come to God and we realize, God, I have sinned against you. I can't earn it. I can't, I can't go back and change my past. And even if I went from this day on, the best that I could, I would still fall short. There is a blessedness of receiving the forgiveness of God. An absolute freedom that comes when it's not because I've earned anything, but God has just forgiven me. What an incredible feeling. And I hope and pray that each one of you have not only experienced that in your past, but that we continue to experience that. I think sometimes the phrase born again, it, 
it causes us to look um, at this new birth, the regeneration of what God does in our hearts as a past thing. But sometimes we forget that God still needs to forgive and we still need to be forgiven. So fellowship is restored. It's not like every time I sin, okay, I'm in heaven, I'm out of heaven, I'm in heaven, I'm out of heaven. No, it's not like that. But it is like a human relationship in some ways in that if you are in conflict with another person that you love, it could be your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your uh, mom, dad, you are in conflict with them. Sometimes that sin needs to be taken care of before that relationship moves on. And the only way that that sin can be taken care of is that God has to forgive because I can't earn God's forgiveness. I can't make God say, okay, I accept you because of your goodness because I will never be good enough. And so verse eight says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. I love the fact that when I read Psalm 32 and I read Psalm 51, And I read these Psalms of forgiveness that David went through much more depth than than I've gone through, I I think, when I I look at the way that David understood forgiveness. David understood that unless God forgives me, I am undone. And the man after God's own heart cannot stand, David cannot stand what it feels like when sin has separated him from God. He explains it like his vitality being sapped from him like the heat of summer all strength gone vitality gone listless no desire for for the things of god but the comfort for us this morning is this there's the blessedness of a cleared record that god gives to us then verses 9 through 12 we see this illustration in abraham abraham was not justified by circumcision verse 9 says this Does this blessedness come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. So is the blessing only for the Jewish person or for the circumcised? The answer is no. Because we realize that Abraham was counted as righteous before he was circumcised. Look what it says in verse 10. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So in a sense, how does this accounting work? It works like this. Abraham was considered righteous before he did anything to to show on the outward sign of this circumcision that this faith was inside of his life. In verse 11, it says this. He received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness but might be imputed to them also. So circumcision, it didn't, um, it didn't justify or make people righteous. It was only a sign that they had been justified or had been made righteous. Think of baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. Baptism doesn't save us. We're not, it's not like, hey, I'm not saved, and then I get baptized, and then I'm saved. Baptism 
is a sign of an inward faith that I have in the Lord. And so when a person is baptized and they go under the water, Christ died for our sins. When they come out of the water, Christ rose again, and we identify with Christ. And what it's showing is that something has happened inside of us, so baptism is an outward sign. In the same way, circumcision was an outward sign that Abraham, notice it says, he received the sign of circumcision. Here's a question. Was circumcision Abraham's idea or God's idea? It was God's idea. Wouldn't that be a crazy thing if it were Abraham's idea? I mean, wouldn't that be just a crazy, if Abraham just said, God, I'm going to do something to show that I'm righteous. And like, well, that is, that's just a crazy thing, right? It wasn't Abraham's idea. It was God's idea. He received that sign from God. And God said, this is a sign that you have been justified. It's a sign of what has happened inside of your heart. So again, it's not something that Abraham did to receive righteousness. In verse 12, and the father of circumcision uh, to those who are not only, um, who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Because Abraham received righteousness before circumcision, he becomes the father of both those that are circumcised and the uncircumcised, of both the Jews who had that sign and the Gentiles who did not have that sign. Um, Growing up, I I never sang Father Abraham, really. Uh, I didn't grow up in Sunday school. But when I got to high school, my youth pastor, Terry Webb, he would get us all up, and we would do these crazy songs that I hated. Hated doing them. Hated doing these songs. I was 16 years old, you know, newly following Christ. And he would do this song with his, his friend Don Ulrich, who's been here before. And he would do this Father Abraham. And I remember that when I got, I, I started doing it. I hated doing it. But I'll tell you that something that, that it did is it kind of humbled me because I kind of made myself do it even though I didn't want to do it. But... I didn't quite understand it until I got a little bit farther along in my faith. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right? I'm like, what is is that? What does that even mean? Like, why do we have to do this? But then you read this, and you realize that Father Abraham is the father both to the Jews and the Gentiles because those who believe in God and are justified by faith have Abraham as our example as the first one in scripture that it, it says explicitly he was justified by faith because he believed in God. And therefore, he is that father or that precursor for each one of us. He wasn't justified by circumcision. The fourth point, Abraham was not justified by the law. In verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Remember Genesis chapter 12. God called Abraham out of his father's house, out of his country to go to a new place. Genesis chapter 15. God cut a covenant with Abraham. We use the phrase today, cut a deal, right? You've heard that? Hey, do you want to cut a deal? Let me tell you where that comes from. 
In the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham to sacrifice an animal, to split the two parts. Um, And then what happened is that the glory of God went through the two halves. And what that signifies is that God was the one that sealed the covenant. Um, People would do this in, in, in times past that in Judaism and then even in other religions, there would be this sense of if a covenant was cut, there would be a sacrifice. There would be some type of, some type of blood. For the Jews, there would be an animal that was cut in half. And then those that would seal the covenant would walk through both sides of the animal. They'd walk through the middle to signify, may that happen to me if I break this covenant. But God was the only one that went through the two sides of the animal. So God was the one that sealed that covenant. Abraham didn't do it. God did it. Which means that God said, in a sense, I'm the one that's going to show that I'm going to be the one faithful to fulfill this promise. Now, why is that important? It is absolutely important because it happened before the law was given. So Abraham and us, we we can never go, hey, you know what? We are earning our, our righteousness with God because we're following these commandments. No, this happened before the law. So Abraham was not justified by the law. In fact, verse 15, if you'd read with me in Romans 4, 15, it says, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Um, I was talking to Dana Morgan. Dana and Paula are in Germany. And one of the things that they are excited about being in Germany is this. There's something called the Autobahn. You guys know what that is? The Autobahn, where you could take your car. And, and uh, the amazing thing about sports cars in the United States is that we, you know, there's, whether it's a Mustang or, you know, this muscle car or this, you know, a Porsche or whatever the car is. And you look at the speedometer and the speedometer might say 140 on that thing. You think, man, this thing could do 140. But where in the United States can you drive 140? You can't do it legally because we have something called a speed limit. When you break the speed limit, you become a transgressor. You break the law. But man, where there's no speed limit, you could just let it run. You could just go and there's this freedom to let it go because there's no law. And what what it's saying is because the law brings about wrath, that where there's no law, there's no transgression. So listen to this. When it comes to the law, if we want to say, hey, I'm going to be justified by the law, there's something in us that when someone says, you can't do that, don't you want to do it? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's our, our nature. It just, it just wants to do that. And then we get in trouble when we do do that. The law brings about wrath. I think about Darius and, and Daniel. You know, he doesn't want to throw Daniel to the lions, you know, but the people manipulate him into making a law. And once that law is set, if someone breaks that law, then the death penalty comes to that person. So the law, we don't want the law um, to try to be justified by. It points us to Christ. Now, the law is good. We're going to look at it later. The law is good. It teaches people um, good principles, but it was never something that by the law, someone was meant to be justified. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise 
might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So notice verse 16, that it is faith according to grace. Now verse 17, point number five. If we look at how Abraham was not justified, he wasn't justified by works. We look at David. He wasn't justified by works. David fell. He, he, he sinned. Um, Abraham was not justified by circumcision. Abraham was not justified by the law. So how was he justified? Verses 17 through 22, Abraham was justified by faith. It says, again, as it is written, again, going back to scripture, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. Here's the blessing is that by faith, God can call those things that are, are dead to life. That's, that's the description of the person that comes to Christ. It's not God calls the sick to life. It's not that God calls the wounded to life. It says that God calls the dead. We were spiritually dead. And when we're spiritually dead, there's nothing that we could do in and of ourselves to be made alive. A dead person can't make themselves alive. Jesus did it because he shows that he's God. But other than Christ, no one else can ever cause themselves to come back to life. So it says... Um, he calls those things which did not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Notice it was God who gave the promise to Abraham. And even contrary to hope, there's no hope that Abraham and Sarah would have kids. He simply believed what God said. In verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old um, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving what? Giving glory to whom? To God. And being fully convinced what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. I love Abraham's faith in old age. At age 100, still trusting in the promises of God against all hope. Still trusting. There's a danger for us, the longer that we are Christians walking with the Lord, that our faith could wane over the years. The things that we had faith in when we were new believers, when we were young, when we said, okay, God, whatever you want to do in me and through me. And if you're young, I hope and pray that you have that faith right now. But that faith, the longer that we walk with God, if we're not in God's word and we're not constantly trusting in the Lord and growing in our faith, then our faith could actually grow backwards. And the things that we used to trust God for, now we think, well, that can't happen. I can't do this. There's no way that God could use me. And we can, instead of looking at God, just look at ourselves. God wants us to look on him. And that's the reason why Abraham is this great 
illustration for us of faith. Abraham did not trust in himself nor in Sarah to be able to produce a child. He trusted what God had said. And when it comes to faith, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's not just the hearing, but it's the trusting and the believing in God's word. And the more that we trust in God's word, the more that our faith is strengthened. If you're reading through the Bible in our yearly reading plan right now, the psalm that we're in is what? Psalm 119. And if you've read Psalm 119, I just encourage you to read it over and over again. There's something about that psalm that just causes us to look back to God's word. The longest chapter in all of the Bible. And all of it is about the faithfulness of God's word and how we could trust in God's word. So, again, Abraham, he believed and was strengthened in faith. And glory went to whom? To God. Why? Because Abraham believed God. Now, Abraham shouldn't receive the glory. God receives the glory because God is the one that said it. Can you imagine if Steph Curry, um, I'm a big basketball fan, Golden State Warriors. Uh, Imagine if Steph Curry, who is on the Golden State Warriors, they're in the NBA Finals, by the way, so root for them. Um, uh, Imagine if Stephen Curry said, we're going to win this NBA Finals and uh, we're going to bring the championship back to the Bay Area. Okay, fast forward you know, the middle of June, Golden State Warriors win. And imagine they're interviewing me. Matt, tell us, what were you thinking? Well, I just believed what he said, and, and it was so great. And, and wow, you know, they won the championship, and, and he hit that last second shot. And, and everyone's saying, wow, look at this fan. What a great fan, because he believed in Steph Curry making it. And imagine, like, I'm going on this tour. I'm speaking in different places, and people, I'm writing books that I believed. no. No, that's ridiculous, right? Because all I did was believe what he said that he was going to do. I didn't do anything. I just simply said, well, I believe him. So no one looks at me because I believe him because there are thousands and thousands and millions of other people that also believe, but it's those players that did something. Abraham is not the one to receive the glory because he believed in God. God is the one that receives the glory because God is the one who did it. God is the one that saved him. God is the one that justified him. So God is the only one that should receive the glory. So whether it would be Paul the apostle or Abraham or Moses or Peter or any of these people that we read about, Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, no, it's not a human being that should receive any glory. All we do is we simply receive the promises of God and we believe God and then God is the one that does the work and saves us. So the glory comes to God. Now, I close with this. Last point, verses 23 through 25. We are justified the same way. Verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So why was this written? Was it written for Abraham? Sure, so that we could understand how Abraham was justified. Was it written for David? Yeah, that we could understand how David was justified. But it was not written for Abraham alone. It was written for us, so that we could understand that we are saved the same way. This is written for our benefit. So don't read the history of the Bible as though 
hey, this is just a story of something that happened a long time ago. Read it as it is God's word, which is instruction for us to learn from. Because we are saved the same way. Notice it says that he was delivered up because of our offenses. The word delivered up is also given. Jesus is the gift that was given. He gave his own life for us. Why? Because of our offenses, because of what we had done. Notice, and then it says, and he was raised because of our justification. He was raised up for our justification to show that we are justified and that he is true. If Jesus were not raised up, if he didn't rise from the dead, then how do we know if we've really been justified? How do we know if what he really said is true? The resurrection, it's not only the cross, Jesus dying for our sins, but it's that he rose again. And because he rose again, we have life in Christ. So this morning, how are you trying to be justified? Because if we're still trying to earn it, if we're still trying to be good enough, if we're still trying to wait, even as Christians, if we're trying to wait until we have a good week before we start to pray, if we're still waiting to have a good day before we believe that God forgives us, then you know what? We are still on a treadmill treadmill of performance-based Christianity. Get off of the treadmill. Get off of the treadmill of performance-based Christianity. Surrender, humble yourself, receive the grace of God through faith in Christ. It's only to the humble that receive. Now, if you have never been baptized, I also want to encourage you to be baptized this summer. Because in the same way that circumcision is the outward sign of an inner faith, baptism for us is an outward sign of an inner faith. And so as we have the worship team come back up and close, maybe someone here is still trying to be approved unto God, still trying to be accepted by God because of works. And by works, I'm saying you're going to church, you're reading your Bible, you're trying to do some good things, you're trying to serve, you're trying to be a good person, you're trying not to sin. Don't get me wrong, those are all good things, and we should do those things out of gratitude for what God has done, but not to try to earn his approval. And this morning, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, in other words, if God were to ask you this question, why should I let you into heaven? Why should you be in my presence? If our answer is, well, because I'm trying, it's not good enough. If our answer is, well, because I'm, I'm a good person, none of us is righteous. If our answer is, well, because I go to church. If our answer is because my family are, are, are saved, none of those are good enough. You know what? It's only because, like Abraham, we believe God, and it's by his grace that he saves us. So I'm going to pray. And if that is you, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer of faith, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life, to surrender, really, to repent. Because all of us that have done that are in the standing of Abraham. We are justified by faith. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. We thank you for Abraham. 
Lord, uh, this song makes sense to some of us now. A uh, song, Lord, that maybe some of us have uh, sung as children or maybe in Sunday school. Lord, for me, that, that never made sense until I started to understand your word. Started to understand that the life of Abraham speaks to each one of us, that we're not made right with you, justified because of things that we do or trying to earn our way. But God, because of what Christ has done for us. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here that has never received that grace and surrendered to you, that today would be that day. And if that is you, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. I know I can't earn your approval. I can't earn justification. But by faith, I believe in what Christ has done for me. Please forgive me for my sins. I surrender to you. And I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.